Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FH&P Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at fhplawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome to another edition of FH&P Lawyers. Wait, Clay, you've yeah. missed two podcasts, so I should be the one introducing us. Okay, I guess that's only fair. Welcome to our January podcast of FHMP Law Talk with Clay and myself, Tanvir Gill. Welcome back. Thank you. And I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Clay <laughs> Williams. I am a partner here at FHMP Lawyers. And yes, I've missed a f- couple podcasts too. You missed some good stuff. But lucky for you, we're actually going to touch on a topic that we talked about before New Year's, and that was the foreign buyer ban and the cooling off period. We had talked about it uh, earlier with Clarissa Lester of our firm. And at that point, the regulations were not out yet. So we had a very brief aerial discussion about what it could look like, but it was not in practice. So it's going to be awesome to talk about it again now as the regulations are out. Um, and on the cooling off period, we do have a brand new contract for purchase and sale out, which most realtors are going to be using now. So it's a good time to talk about that all over again. Really topical, and I see that we are doing this in the format of interviewing our very own Nancy Ling. Nancy, welcome. Thank you. So you guys have asked me here today to give you a bit of the update now that we know the finer points of the regulations that go with the foreign buyer ban. So they announced the act last year in 2022 and then told us over and over again that the regs are coming And then they decided to release them on December 21st when pretty much everybody was away on vacation. So it kind of stressed me out a bit because I was on vacation at home. And then I was like, we need to figure this out because it's in effect as of January 1st. And when we all came back first week of January, it was in effect. Yep. Everybody's playing a little bit of catch up right now. Even the realtors, as Tanvir mentioned, there's that new contract out now as of January 1st, 2023. Not all of the realtors are using it yet, but pretty soon we'll be seeing everybody using the updated contracts too. So I'll start with the foreign buyer ban. So really they gave it a mouthful of a name. It's the Prohibition on the Purchase of Residential Property by Non-Canadians Act. Everybody's going to call it the foreign buyer ban though. So basically for the next two years, nobody that is a non-Canadian can buy residential real estate in Canada. It doesn't matter if it's vacant land, as long as it's residential, it's residential land. And then non-Canadian is a little bit tricky, but obviously if you're not a Canadian citizen or a permanent resident, you're a non-Canadian. But companies, if anybody is using a company, it needs to be 97% owned by Canadians. So if it's got 3% or more ownership of an American or an Australian, then it's going to be a foreign corporation and it'll be banned from owning real estate. You know, you'd kind of just stop you there, because I, I, I find that really interesting, the 3%, because that's a, a new number for us in law. What is the percentage for the, the transparency registry and the uh, loader, which is 10%? 10%. So for the property transfer tax, for the foreign buyer additional tax of 20%, it's 25% ownership. And then for the transparency requirement, it's 10% ownership. And now for the foreign buyer ban, it's 3% ownership. So we've got three numbers to keep track of now when we're dealing with companies. It's really, it's going to actually create a lot more work for, for lawyers, isn't it? And realtors. It's going to be right. very important to identify your corporate clients and make sure you know in reality if they have any foreign influence or ownership. Because it's not just shares. 
if they've set up this sort of straw man corporation and it's really a hundred percent one foreigner behind the company, but they've got somebody else holding the shares and they're calling all the shots. It's going to be caught as a foreign corporation. And there is a fine if you let one of these foreigners buy property in the next two years. So it's a $10 fine for the foreigner, but it's also a 10, sorry, $10,000 fine. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be like, no problem. (laughs) So it's a $10,000 fine for the non-Canadian purchaser, but it's also a $10,000 fine for anyone that aids and abets or advises a foreigner to purchase Canadian property. Well, it's significant. And, 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 and would that apply to the realtors and lawyers as well? It remains to be seen. What I'm is pretty c- sure it's realtors, mortgage brokers, and lawyers. Advisors. Accountants. All those wow. individuals are going to count as a advisor. Yeah, so if you, you help somebody to come up with a plan to skirt this law, you can be caught by that $10,000 fine at the end of the day. So what type of property can a foreign buyer buy in BC? Okay, so we talked a little bit about, you know, who can't and it's non-Canadians. There are some exemptions for non-Canadians, but there's also exemptions for properties as well. So I'll talk about the exemptions for the non-Canadians next, but to Tanvir's question, basically they want to hit the big centers. So anything that's a census metropolitan area is going to be caught up in the ban. That's your typical big city but also your census agglomeration. So that's your your areas where more than 10,000 people live. So if you look at the Kelowna census area, it's not just Kelowna. It's Kelowna, it's West Kelowna, it's Lake Country. It's a much larger area as long as it captures at least 10,000 residents. So if it's an area of less than 10,000, for example, Big White or Whistler, it's not caught up in one of those census areas. So you would be able to buy there. A foreigner would be able to buy at Big White, for example. Where, is there something that you reference in order to find out where you can buy and where you can't buy? you got to go to the census maps. And right now they are really confusing. I'm waiting for someone with an IT background to go in and create that searchable map where you can put in an address or a parcel identifier and ask the map is it within one of the census areas right now i had to spend some time with my google maps own open and scrolling through the census map to try and find where on this map with no street names and no city names is big white and scroll in until i found it and also it's confusing as parts of the shushwap and we deal with the shushwap quite a bit in the okanagan yeah so as i was talking about those census agglomerations for example the salmon arm census area is much larger than just salmon arm and it captures part of the Shushwap Lake system, but not all of it. So if you're looking at some lakefront properties in the Shushwap, you're going to have to look at that map and see if your property is in the foreign ban area or outside of it. What about the Blind Bay area? Do you know? I've always been interested in that area. Not off the top of my head. I'd have to go and scroll into that map and pull up my Google Maps again. But maybe by now somebody's already created a searchable map. I'm not sure. I think a lot of people also get confused about what type of property this applies to, even though it's in the name. And like Nancy said, everyone's going to refer to this as the foreign buyer ban, but they're not going to look at the actual name, which is the purchase of residential property. So foreigners can still come in and purchase property as long as it's not residential and not within the areas that she just listed. Right. So if it's zoned residential property and it's within one of the census areas, meaning they've got more than 10,000 people living there, then it's caught up by the ban, regardless of whether there's a house on it or not. So even if it's a lot, a vacant lot, 
in the middle of the city of Kelowna, a foreigner can't buy it. So let's just chat then about the people that this act applies to and who it doesn't. For instance, you know, uh, what about uh, a an American who's married to a Canadian, for instance? And uh, is there a, a list of people that it applies to and that it doesn't apply to? Yeah. So obviously we touched on citizenship and permanent residency. If you are not a citizen or a permanent resident, but your spouse is, you are allowed to buy real estate with your Canadian spouse as long as you're both on the contract, you're both going on title. Keeping in mind, however, that this is a separate act than the one that brought in that 20% foreign buyer tax. So you can put your American spouse on title with you, but they're still going to pay that foreign buyer tax on their share of the property. There's a couple other exemptions. So that one, you're a spouse of a Canadian who is purchasing with they're Canadian and it's spouse. It's that federal definition of spouse. So it's either legally married or living in a conjugal relationship for at least one year. That's a spouse. There's also exemptions for temporary residents and refugees. So these are some onerous criteria you have to meet. So if you think you're buying under one of these exemptions, you should get some legal advice. Basically for a temporary resident who's a student, you have to be going to a qualifying school You have to be physically present in Canada as a full-time student for 244 days per year for the past five years. So you have to have been a full-time student in Canada physically for five years before you qualify to buy. You have to have filed all your necessary income tax returns for those five years. Your purchase price cannot exceed $500,000, which is getting more and more unlikely. (laughs) And you're only allowed to use this exemption once. So a, a student who's been here for five years would only be allowed to buy one property under this exemption. If you're a temporary resident who's working... It's not quite as onerous, but you have to have worked full-time for at least three of the past four years, filed all of the necessary income tax returns in those four years, and again, you're only allowed one property with that exemption. And then there's also an exemption for refugees. You have to have been approved as a refugee and gone through all of those requirements. So you might need to be calling an immigration lawyer to see if you qualify for these exemptions. Hey, I know where to find one. FHP has a full service immigration department. We do. So, uh, and they're ready to take your questions. Exactly. So Nancy, this act is banning buyers for two years. Do you really think two years is enough time for, you know, I don't know, government to figure out whether this buyer ban's actually doing what it should be doing? Hey, hang on, hang on. Before you answer that question, uh, is it even necessary? I want to know your thoughts on that. (laughs) You know, we're seeing a real estate slowdown, uh, uh, and and I wondered about uh, whether uh, what your thoughts were and and whether we even needed it this time. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes our legislators they aren't seeing what's happening on the ground here, um, and they're answering problems that they think their voters are seeing. I think this ban is probably a little bit late. We're obviously seeing a pretty cool, frigid market right now. And if you ask some of the economists, foreign buyers represented, I don't have it off the top of my head, I think it was something less than 5% of the purchases in our real estate, our residential real estate market. Less than 5. Less than 5. So they're attacking a problem that may not be there anymore. Uh, They previously attacked it with the 20% tax, which I think got rid of a bunch of foreign buyers. Uh, But that was all British Columbia legislation. So the difference here is this is federal. 
this is going to be across Canada. So they're doing federally what BC basically tried to do several years ago. Obviously, things are going to go without being caught, as they usually do. But in this case, I'm wondering what is going to happen if somebody does buy, although they're foreign. Yeah. I mean, from a self-interest point of view, lawyers and realtors are going to want to do their homework to make sure they don't accidentally sell residential real estate to a foreigner. But if it does happen, then basically the federal government has the ability to force that property to be sold. So it'll be like a court-ordered sale. And once everybody who's owed money off that sale is paid, the seller, the, the foreign buyer who slipped through the cracks, only gets back a maximum of what they actually spent on the property. So if there's any profit from that sale, it goes straight to CRA, which adds a little bit of insult to injury for that foreign buyer. Okay, so if a foreign buyer does manage to get their hands on property, like who's that, is there somebody actually policing this, or do you think it's going to get caught? So... They make it past their realtor and the whole FinTrack process without anybody catching that they're not Canadian. And then they make their offer. They make it past their mortgage broker if they're getting a mortgage somehow without somebody catching this. And then they're meeting with their lawyer to sign up the legal transfer documents. And again, somehow... They've, what, forged ID or something to get past their lawyer. There is a question on the property transfer tax form that must be filed with every single transfer asking, are you a Canadian citizen or permanent resident? So again, if they commit another piece of forgery there, they're lying all the way through. I mean, I it's, it's a federal legislation that's going to be enforced by the federal government. Uh, I don't know if they're going to create a separate enforcement body or what, but that's a whole lot of fraud to go under the radar. Yeah. And you have to assume that all the different departments communicate with each other. So CRA, the property tax department, um, you know, land title filings. Yep. And our legal property transfer tax forms that we submit. So the land title office in BC will not let you submit a land title transfer unless you at the same time submit a property transfer tax form. That's one that asks for your citizenship and your SIN number. If you enter in an incorrect SIN number, the form will tell you that it's not correct and it will not let you register it. Mm -hmm. So they're also going to have to have a SIN number. I don't even know how you commit that kind of fraud. Yeah. I mean, considering people are hacking all types of systems and like shutting down, you know, universities, I'm sure something will be figured out. They managed to hack both the Ministry (laughs) of Finance and the Land Title Office and CRA, then maybe... (laughs) I don't think they'd be dabbling in real estate if that's what their skill set was. So the other change that happened as of this January is the cooling off period. So now people have the ability as buyers to rescind their decision to buy property within a set uh, time period and upon payment of, you know, a rescission payment almost. Right. So the home buyer rescission period regulation came out too. Basically, before you used to have that seven day rescission period when you bought pre sales. Now they're instituting a three day rescission period for all other residential contracts in the province of BC. So basically, there's no such thing anymore of an unconditional offer in those tight sellers' markets. Any buyer can back out within three business days, but they have to pay a fee. So they have to pay a rescission fee of 0.25% of the purchase price. 
if a deposit has already been paid under the contract, that rescission fee gets paid automatically out of the deposit to the seller and the buyer gets the rest. So you can walk away within that three-day period, but you have to pay 0.25% of the purchase price. Yeah. The tricky thing, though, is that most contracts don't require the deposit to be paid until after the subject is removed. So this might change the way that people draft their offers now, at least for sellers, if they want to be able to collect that rescission fee from a buyer that backs out. Well, well, that was my question, is I'm, I'm just unclear as to when the period starts. Is it after subjects are off or after no. signing the contract? After you have an accepted offer. Ah, okay. So there's now, they've updated the contract. So you have to add in when the contract was accepted. So that'll be new. And I actually really like that because there's sometimes when it's not actually clear. There's been so many counter offers, amended offers. You don't know when it became a final contract. You now have to write that date in. And that's when that three business day starts to run. I, I, it seems like another response from the government that's too late. Uh, again, uh, we're not really seeing the unconditional offers anymore. Uh, do you think it's going to really impact the way that people do business right now in, in a downturning economy? No, again, I think the market is already pretty cool uh, that the government is trying to cool further. Um, so no, I, I don't see a lot of practical use here, although it could very easily be abused by, you know, the sharp investor who wants to go make multiple offers and back out for no good reason, not pay a deposit and make these sellers chase them for the, uh, the rescission fee. Oh, good point. Because it's not in the form of a deposit anymore. If it's they don't pay the deposit right away, oh, you're yeah. going to have to pursue that buyer for that rescission fee. So for sellers, it really makes sense to have that deposit paid when the offer is made. And most lawyers will advise their buyers not to pay the deposit until the subjects are removed. So there's a little bit of a, a conflict between the interests of the buyer and the seller now. Okay, sounds like a job for a good realtor then, eh? You bet, yeah. Well, it's been great to be back after a, a, a brief uh, temporary and non-permanent Tanvir uh, absence on my part. So... Um, but thank you for carrying it while I was gone. Uh, Nancy, thanks for coming in. I was going to say that I missed you while you were gone, but I didn't really. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had you had me all like weepy-eyed there for a minute, but uh, then you had to ruin it. Nancy, thank you very much for coming in. My and pleasure. until next time. FHMP lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help. Send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com. 